don't know how this goes at your house, um, but at my house, we seem to start, we're getting more and more stuff uh, reminding us, more and more notifications telling us about things that we're supposed to go get checked on or make sure they're working correctly. So a couple of examples, the dealership where we purchased our cars, uh, we're just continually getting these updates. Hey, it's time for your 25,000 mile checkup. Come on in, services due. 50,000 mile checkup, come on. I'm like, how are you tracking my car? But they seem to know 25,000, I guess because I keep going in. But anyway, uh, like, you know, they're like, hey, it's time to get your tires checked. It's almost summertime. Get your air conditioning checked. Time for your next oil change. Like, they're just constantly reminding us, hey, go check this, get this checked. Same is true with the medical profession. Um, you know, every six months or so, we're getting that reminder, hey, time to come in, get your teeth clean, get your x-rays done, it's time, da 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 Wellness check, come on in, see the doctor, make sure everything's good. Hey, you're past due on getting your eyes checked. Your ear's almost up, use your insurance, come on in. Hey, your med check is time, you need to get your new prescription. It's just like over and over, I hear that there's a new one coming for me at 50 that they want to keep reminding me to come in for. I'm dreading, I, so I hear. Um, financial managers doing the same thing. They're sending me notes. They're like, hey, why don't you guys come in for your annual portfolio performance, you know, I don't know what we're doing. You know, they want you to, I guess that's why I should go. Uh, you know, how's your risk assessment? Is it set properly? Like, everybody wants me to come in. I'm a member also of the Dollar Shave Club. I don't know if you're aware of the Dollar Shave Club. Uh, Low-priced, high-quality razors. Uh, they ship them to you every month. Uh, they don't just ship them to me every month anymore, though. They, every month before they ship them, they send me an email to say, hey, take a quick look at your order. Make sure it's all right. Can we add some shave butter or something in there? I'm like... No, I just need the razor. I've yet to buy anything, but every month they're still reminding me, hey, check, hey, check. And there's all these different ways in your life or in, our, in my life where we're encouraged to check, to make sure everything's working all right, to review it, to see if it's working properly. Is there anything we need to do to fix it? But rarely, if ever, does anybody send us a, hey, have you checked your relational health lately? We don't, we don't get those reminders. Typically what happens is we sort of just let our relationships be whatever our relationships are going to be. And oftentimes we don't take time to consider what we could do maybe to improve those relationships or what steps we could take to begin to help our relational health to improve. We also know that during the month of December we're supposed to be grateful and we're supposed to be thankful for all of the things that we have. And one of the most valuable things that we have in our life are our relationships. And so we should be thankful for those relationships that we have. But because we begin to realize we don't oftentimes check our relationships, but then also knowing that this is the month where we should be thankful for those relationships, my hope was that we could begin to do a series where we could start to understand what it is that we can do to take those relationships that we're grateful for and begin to improve on them to begin to recognize what are some things that we can do to improve our relational health. What is it that we can begin to do in our lives that would improve those things? And most of what we begin to recognize are the things that we can improve are things that you and I personally can do. Like it starts with me. If I want my relationships to be healthy, it starts with the choices that I make. What can I change? What are the things that I can control that will improve personal health and that relational health? What are the things that you and I can respond to, that you and I can own, and the decisions that we can begin to make to help that relational health? At the beginning of all of that, what I want us to know and what I want us to begin to understand is that all relationships are healthier when we're right with Jesus. I want you to consider this idea of the relational trickle-down effect. I don't know if you've heard of this or maybe you've read about it. The relational trickle-down effect. I looked it up online. It's not actually a thing. I made it up. Um, 
But if you could help spread the word, that would be good. But uh, relational trickle-down effect. And basically, the relational trickle-down effect that says this, because I made it up, it says, the more important a relationship is, the greater the impact it will have on the less critical relationships. Make sense? The more important a relationship is, the more impact it will have on the less critical relationships. It works in the reverse, too. The less important a relationship is, the less of an impact it will have. That would be the trickle-up effect, but that doesn't work, so trickle-down. A couple examples to help you understand. Let's say you go uh, to the Department of Licensing, and you and the clerk at the Department of Licensing, you don't get along, for example. Uh, maybe you don't see eye-to-eye -eye on everything. When it's all done, you have a funny story. But it doesn't change how you feel about your buddies and whether or not you're going to get along, right? You're not like, I can't be your friend anymore. I didn't get along with the gal at the Department of Licensing. No, it doesn't happen. But if you go to the Department of Licensing and you and the clerk have a very pleasant five minutes, it doesn't strengthen your parenting skills either, right? You see how that neither... Let's say your mailman has a very strong lack of interest at making sure that your mail and your neighbor's mail don't get crossed up. He just doesn't seem to care, right? He's like, well, they both live nearby. And they just throw it in. Like, you're frustrated. He's probably not your favorite person, but you're not going to call your friends and be like, we can't hang out tonight. My mailman's no good. I wanted to get together. I'm just going to have to stay in. Right? It and if your mailman is just nailing it, right, like every single day, the letters are in the right box. Like the bill is always coming to you. There hasn't been a postcard mishap for a long time. Like suddenly any struggle that you're having with your spouse doesn't just go away, right? You're like, man, we're, this marriage is good because the mailman is on it, right? It doesn't work, right? How about with this way, your boss at work? This is a more important relationship, right? This is where it actually starts to play. If you and your boss aren't getting along, Let's say your boss, just you are the one that he loves to yell at. You happen to be the one, anytime something goes wrong, it might be your mistake, might be somebody else's mistake, you are the one that he just brings it, just takes you out. That's a pretty important relationship, and because of the importance of that relationship, when he's just taking you out, now anybody that's underneath you, you're like, oh, you're going to get it, <laughs> right? Now they're going to have a rough day. But let's say you and your boss are chummy, right? And everything's good and it's going smoothly. Well, the trickle-down effect says those around you benefit. Maybe you're not getting along with your parents. And I, and I throw that out there. Maybe you're not getting along with your parents. And even if you're an adult, this still has an impact in our lives. If our relationship with our parent is going rough, maybe, maybe we're just not talking or things just seem to be off or we just can't seem to agree where should Thanksgiving or Christmas at, whatever it would be. Like, that begins to influence the other relationships because that relational relationship we have with our parents is important, and it begins to impact how we relate to our siblings or our kids or our spouse or our friends. If we're getting along with our parents, communication is going well. There's, a, there's an added sense of security, a sense of peace that trickles into the other relationships. But at the key, you or at the top of it all, you and I were made for a relationship, the primary relationship to be with Jesus. Every other relationship, even those that matter a ton, they're all impacted by our relationship with Jesus. Because you and I were made for a relationship with Jesus in the same way that you and I were made to need air. We need air to breathe, and just as important, you and I need a right relationship with Jesus. And when the relationship with Jesus is off, or maybe it's not all that it can be, then it begins to have a trickle-down effect into all of our other relationships. 
Now, what that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we can't have healthy, productive relationships if things aren't perfect with Jesus. It just means that the healthier our relationship is with Jesus, the healthier and the more productive every other relationship can be. So, if we desire to have relational health, and if we begin to recognize that a right relationship with Jesus improves our relational health, well, we have to begin to understand and understand that at the very beginning, the start of relational health is repentance. Oh, that was the word you were all hoping for. But since a healthy relationship with Jesus impacts all of our other relationships, one of the first steps that we have to take very oftentimes, a step that we have to repeat again and again and again, is to clear things up with Jesus. And we know this in the church world as repentance. And if you've been to church very long, there has been a moment where you're standing in church and the pastor said, repent and sin no more. And if he did it really well and he screamed it really loud, you're like, okay, I don't know what you're asking me to do. Throughout the Bible, we see over a hundred times where the word repent shows up. And it's a central concept to our faith. It's a very key part of our journey in following Jesus. But oftentimes in our culture, we don't really understand, what does it mean to repent? I mean, we don't really use that word very often. Like, we don't really, we don't know how to use it correctly. We're not really sure how it even applies to our lives. We're just like, okay, I guess I repent. Young pastor was hired by this very small country church. It's the very first job for him, and this little church was very excited about this new young pastor that was coming in, and so they thought, you know what, we're going we're gonna to really make our church nice. And so the beautification committee said, we're going to paint this church. We're going to make it all nice and spick and span, and we're going to make it look really good. And so they went out, and they bought 80 gallons of white paint, and they started to evaluate, and they started, oh, man, we actually need 110 gallons of white paint. And as they realized they were going to need more paint, the leader of the beautification committee was like, okay, we're kind of running short on money, so what we're going to do is we're just going to add water to this paint, and we're going to see if we can just sort of thin it out. We can stretch it out. We want to be good stewards of our money. We want to take care of the, the paint that we've got, and so we're just, going to, we're just going to thin out the paint a little bit. So they just get finished. They get the whole church painted. They've used this watered-down paint, but it's looking good, and it's all looking clean and nice, and, and the young pastor just happens to pull in right as they're finishing, and the people are all excited. They're like, he's going to love the church, and he's going to be excited to be here. We're excited he's going to be here. So the young pastor gets out of his car, and he's looking at the building, and it looks good, and right at that moment, it starts to rain. And as the rain begins to fall, it starts to hit the sides of the building, and the paint begins to shed off the sides of this building. And the people of the church are just like, oh no, what have we done? And they're mortified and they're embarrassed. And the young pastor's like, I'm not sure what to say. And he's trying to figure it out and they're trying to figure it out. And everybody's wondering, what is he going to say? And it's just silence. Finally, this young pastor stands and he raises his hand. And with great conviction, he says, repaint and thin no more. Okay. In, in, all, in all fairness, there are not very many good repentance jokes. But the reality is, typically, we... Do somebody say that's not one of them either? I agree. <laughs> but the problem is, typically, we don't even know what repent means. We're like, ah! I mean, if I just stood up here and yelled repent and David played some really strong keys, we'd all be like, we should do it. We don't know what it means. But in order for us to have that personal relational health, 
We have to begin to understand repentance. And it starts by seeing that to repent or repentance is not God wanting us to feel like a failure. Sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes it feels like, well, I'm just supposed to feel beat up about that. It's not it at all. Repentance isn't about us living in a mild state of depression. It's not about beating ourselves up and thinking that somehow we're more spiritual because we're like, woe is me, right? I mean, that's not it at all. Shortly after Jesus left the earth, we find one of his closest friends speaking to a large crowd, talking about the idea of repentance. The guy's name is Peter, and Peter had messed up big time when Jesus was on earth. I mean, Peter was found telling people he didn't actually know Jesus in the moments when Jesus needed him the most. Jesus and Peter had a conversation after that. Peter knew what it was like to say, I've done something wrong. I need to repent of that. In the book of Acts, we find Peter preaching to this large crowd. It's the very first sermon he's ever preached, and he is on his game. 3,000 people hear what he has to say, and they're like, I want to follow Jesus. And he's bringing it. Well, shortly after this amazing message, Peter and another guy named John, they're walking down the street, and they're going past this place where they've gone a thousand times, and there's this guy sitting on the side of the road, and he's, he's disabled, and he's been disabled his entire life. He sits on the sidewalk, and he just begs for money. He's like, hey, I need help, I need help, I need help. The guy's been sitting in the same place for years, just begging. Everybody knows him, and as Peter and John get closer, Peter looks at him, and he's like, hey, man, I don't have any money for you. I got no change. He's like, but wait, wait, wait. I have something I can give you, and it's free. He says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And then he reaches his hand out, and he grabs the guy by the hand, and he pulls the guy to his feet. And for the very first time in this gentleman's life, he's standing on his own feet. For the first time ever, he is walking on his own. And this guy that is now standing for the very first time under his own strength, for the very first time, does what any of us would do. He goes full-on solo rave dancer. Like, you know, he's like, Have you seen the Seahawks do that after a touchdown? I mean, he's going nuts. He's jumping around. He's skipping. He's probably doing one of those, like, you know, these deals, and he's just going. He's been sitting there begging for years, and now he's running, and he's jumping, and he's causing a scene, and everybody's looking, and Peter's like, whoa, this is my chance. Everybody's got their attention right here, and so Peter steps over, and he's like, Hey, can I, can, I, can I tell you guys what's just happened? Hey, can I explain to you guys what's going on and, and why this guy that we've always seen begging is currently doing this? Everything that you're seeing right now is through the power of Jesus. He's the one that healed this guy. The change that you're witnessing, the joy that you're seeing, Jesus can do that in your lives as well. And Peter goes on to explain, listen, Jesus wants to do this exact same thing in your hearts and in your minds. He wants to bring healing in the areas that have held us back. Jesus wants to begin to free us from the parts of life that have left us begging by the side of the road. And then Peter begins to unveil how that's possible. Words are on your screen. They're in your message notes. This is what Peter says in Acts. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's basically saying, listen, the excitement and the thrill of walking for the very first time is the same thrill and the same excitement that comes when you and I are made right with Jesus. But it starts when we repent. It starts when we turn. It starts when we recognize our lives have been held back. 
Our lives have been prevented from experiencing all that it could be, and it's because of the sin in our life, and when we repent and we turn from those things, it's so refreshing. It's such an amazing release that we begin to run, and we jump, and we're excited because now we're set free to begin to experience the deepest, most rewarding relationships. We get to experience a life that's greater than anything else we could experience. It's repentance. Not a, sen- not a sense of feeling like a failure, not a sense of feeling like we're worthless. It's about seeing what's been preventing us from relational health and recognizing that God has the ability to change that. And the reason that repentance works and what we have to begin to recognize is that it happens through an understanding of repentance. Because again, repentance isn't about us just saying, I'm wrong, I messed up, I can't do this. I mean, there's a part of repenting that recognizes that and acknowledges that we've made decisions, that we've made choices that didn't line up with the way Jesus would make decisions. There's a part of repenting where we recognize, I've broken relationship with God, I've broken relationship with other people, admitting that, acknowledging that, but then after that, it comes with a desire for a transformation to happen in our lives and through our lives. See, again, repentance isn't just about feeling bad. Repentance is also about a changed mind. There was a group of people that were following Jesus shortly. Oh, okay, you got it. Good catch. During the early church, just after Jesus was here, uh, there was an early church that got really confused. They got really messed up about what was right and what is wrong. and They kind of developed some really kind of weird ideas about who God is. They got really off track about what is right and what is wrong. There was a guy by the name of Paul that had helped introduce them to Jesus, helped them find Jesus. He writes them a letter to say, listen, let's kind of get some things straightened out. Let's get you back on track. This is what Paul wrote. He said this. He said, yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. Basically, a part of repentance is sorrow, but that sorrow is a recognition and a disappointment in what we've missed out on. It's a sense of seeing what was possible in relationship, but it's not possible because of choices that we've made. That creates sorrow. And it's not a defeating sorrow. It's not a, I just give up. It's acknowledging, hey, what I've done was not good, Where I'm at is not where I want to live. And so as a result, I'm going to change the way I look at it. I'm going to change the way I perceive it. I'm going to change my mind about it. It's not like being Eeyore, right? Woe is me, I'm no good. I'll sit in the corner and be sad. No. The original Greek word for repent is a word called mentanoia. Mentanoia. About six months ago, oh, mentanoia means a change of mind that leads to a changed behavior. About six months ago, um, my wife Julie and I, we were given a new bed. Uh, We had a king-size mattress, but we didn't have a bed, so it was just, you know, mattress on the floor, and eventually we're like, hey, a bed, that's cool. Um, But this bed, it was mostly a wooden frame, you know, and, and now this new wooden frame, it sticks out more than our old mattresses did, and it's pretty much wood from the floor all the way up. Um, And I know you're thinking, oh, he's going to stub his toe, and that'll be a cute story. I wish uh, that's what I did. Um, I have somehow figured out when I'm walking around this bed to completely miss it with my toe, but I can just take it right in the shin. I mean, and I just 
clip over it, and I have in the shin, in the calf. I mean, it is bad. Well, I finally started to take this Greek word or the end of this Greek word to heart. Annoia. I am now super annoyed at banging into the corner and hobbling and hopping around the room. I'm like, ah, oh. we need the pain from our choices to annoy you enough that we change our mind, to annoy you enough that we alter our behavior. So guess what? I take a wider path around my bed. My wife works at Starbucks, so she goes to bed early, which means a lot of times I'm getting ready for bed in the dark. When I'm at the closet and then I go to, I'm careful. So I don't like it. Those choices have to annoy you enough that we change our mind, that we change our choices. So maybe you begin to discover that, that lies and rudeness have, have caused you to lose friends. Let that annoy you enough you do something differently. Maybe you're getting ahead in life because you're cheating. Maybe at work, maybe on your taxes, maybe I don't know how you're doing it, but you know that you're getting ahead and you don't deserve it. Maybe that needs to begin to annoy you enough that you begin to say, okay, I'll just follow the rules. I'll operate in a way that's fair. Maybe you've been ignoring Jesus and your heart is empty and there's a pain there. Let that annoy you enough that you change your mind begin to say, I'm going to pursue Jesus in ways that maybe I haven't or in ways that I have, but that worked. It's determining, I don't like the choices that I'm making and where those choices are leading me to. They aren't getting me the results that I want, and so I'm going to make a change in my mind. I'm going to change my thoughts to take on different actions. I'm going to choose new ways. I want to avoid the sorrow and the disappointment that ends or where it ends up taking me. I don't want to be there anymore. Which brings us to the second aspect of understanding repentance, and that is the idea that repentance is a change in direction. In the Old Testament, uh, God was communicating to the Israelites uh, through one of the prophets by the name of Ezekiel, and he says this. He says, Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Repent, turn from your idols, and renounce all your detestable practices. It's not just a matter of changing our mind. It was changing their practices. It was a change in behavior. It was a change in action. Specifically, a change in their life's trajectory. It was about choosing a new God to focus on and not focusing on the old detestable ways, but choosing a brand new, a different direction. And oftentimes, it's not a one-time choosing to turn. It's a daily decision. Okay, I'm going to turn my attention. I'm going to turn my attention away from the things that distract me, and I'm going to turn my attention to things that lead me to wholeness and lead to health. And then the next day, it's again, I'm going to turn my attention. And then this next day, I'm going to turn my attention. And then it's the next day. I'm going to, and over time, as you turn your direct turn enough, turn enough, suddenly it doesn't have to happen every day because you wake up more like this, and then just once a week, you have to be like, okay, i got to turn in this direction. And then after a week, you turn in this direction. And then after a month, you're like, I'm getting this. It's not such a distraction over here. I've been doing this for a while. I'm going this way. And if you've ever listened to preachers, I'll listen to preachers, and I read about this this week, where different preachers are like, if in your life you will just hand it all over to Jesus, if you'll just tell him, Jesus, take all my sin away, and I repent of all the, that he will just take it away, and you won't struggle anymore. And I was like, I don't know who you're talking to. Not me. Because I found in my life it doesn't work that way. 
And if in your life it's happened that way where you're like, Jesus, just take it all and it's worked and you've never struggled with it again, don't tell me about it because I'll feel terrible. Praise God for you. Typically what I found, I got to work on it. Jesus is like, we're going to have victory over this, but you got to keep working. And today you got to turn. And then today you got to turn. And then today you got to turn. And again, we got to turn. And over time, it gets easier and it gets easier, but we got to keep choosing to turn. And actually, one of the best ways that when we're struggling and we want to repent and when we want to turn and get headed in the right direction shows up in the last book of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, it says this, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. See, Jesus doesn't leave us. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. The issue is you and I, we leave. We've left our first love. We've ignored the things that we discovered at the very beginning that were so amazing and so freeing about a relationship with Jesus. And so then the call to repent, the call to turn, the call to change and go in a different direction a lot of times we think we have to require some radical new idea or some, some new concept that we've never heard of. A lot of times what it means is just go back to doing what you did when you first discovered Jesus. Maybe, maybe you used to find yourself when you were working out, you'd listen to worship music, and now you're like, ah, just, or maybe when you're cleaning the house or doing something, you just let God help you focus on that. Maybe you used to find time to read your Bible, and now it, eh. Maybe you used to make sure you were at your connect group and you were connecting with other people so they could help point you in the right direction. Maybe church used to be a priority and, and now it's more of a convenience. Get back to what you did at first when you first fell in love with Jesus. Because the more you and I allow ourselves to be drawn close to Jesus, the more the, it reduces the chance that we're going to break relationship with him. Because the closer we are with him, the more we understand him, and the less likely we are to make choices that break that relationship. I'm trying really hard in my life not to get old <laughs> and let my body fall apart, but it's happening quickly. So one of the things I'm doing to try and slow this down is I'm trying to get to the gym about four times a week. And, and of those four times a week, I'm trying to spend two of those workouts, like hitting this class. It's like a weightlifting class, and there's a bunch of people in there, and we do it to music, which is kind of dorky, but anyway, it's what we do. Um, well, about a month ago, I was at this class, um, and I don't know what I did, but I broke relationship with my body. Because by the time I got home, my back was just like, I was like, I can barely move. I don't know what I did. I was like... Might have had too much weight. I don't know. I don't know if I didn't stretch enough. The more I thought about it, I'm like, I know exactly what I did. I, I just didn't keep my core tight. That's usually where I, I forgot about the basic thing. And now my body was saying, because you didn't do the thing you're supposed to do at the beginning, your first love, keep your core tight. My body's like, I'm holding that against you. <laughs> you were lazy and you broke relationship. <laughs> so I've repented. And I've admitted to myself, you did it wrong. Because <laughs> I wanted to blame other things, like the instructor or whatever. Like, no, it was me. And so over the last month, I've had to turn. I've had to repent and change my ways. I've had to change my mind. And so as a result of changing my direction, I made some trips to the chiropractor, <laughs> some extra stretching, some ice. But more than anything, I had to return to what I did at first. Got to keep the core tight. When I'm lifting, when I'm not just walking around life, the key to getting my back back in shape 
was doing what I knew I was supposed to do. And now that I'm trying to get back, I'm starting to lift again. I'm start, i got to remember, man, i got to keep the core tight. I don't, I'm not changing something. I'm not doing something new. I'm just doing what I've always known I was supposed to do. Returning to that which I know, which is keeping me from breaking relationship with myself. And really, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, that's what it's about. Returning to what we know we're supposed to do about the things that allowed us to develop that relationship in the first time that brought relational help. And relational health. And repentance is about a changed mind, and it's about a changed direction. It's about aligning the traje- trajectory of our heart with God's heart. Meaning that ultimately what that brings is that repentance restores relationship. It's all about relationship. Everything God did, everything God has aimed to do was about providing and restoring relationship. The fact that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross was about restoring relationship. One of the most amazing stories in the Bible is this picture of a father and a son and their relationship. The story, if you read into it, it contains, or if you look at it, it talks about everything we're talking about this morning. And if you and I are willing to recognize and see ourselves as the son in this story, God has something very powerful he wants us to hear. If you know the story, basically it goes this way. The son approaches the dad and he's like, hey dad, um, I want my inheritance now. Hey, your, my share of the estate, Dad, I want it right now. And essentially he's saying, hey, Dad, I know you're not dead, but let's just pretend you're dead and give me what's mine. That's what he's saying. Let's just pretend. My dad's like, okay, if that's how you want to do this thing. And so he gives the son all of what is his, and the son like, just takes off down a road of destruction. Like literally heads down the road to destruction and goes to this nearby town, and he just goes crazy takes his money, and he buys some friends, and he gets some people that want to party with him, and they're just clubs every night, and wasted, and finding girls, and the Bible just basically says they just spend all of the money. It's like a nonstop party. Sometimes in our life, that's what we do. We try to fill the distractions of a relationship that we walked away from. We try and put so many things in our life to kind of cover up what's fallen apart, whether it was with Jesus or with another person. Whatever it is, we're like, I got to just, and we cover it up with all this stuff. And whatever it is or however it goes on, whatever it is, oftentimes what we have ended up saying is we're like, I just want what is mine. Just give me what I think I deserve. I'm going to do my own thing. And then we end up damaging relationships. And eventually the pain that leads from that and the loneliness and the destruction and the frustration begins to say, oh, that was not good. That's what happens to the son. He runs out of money. He runs out of options for ways to cover up his loneliness. He's got no more dollars available, and it ends in complete desperation. His life's an absolute mess. He's at rock bottom. Jesus tells us, the story goes this way. Jesus is the one telling it. He says this, when he, being the son, when he came to his senses... Basically, when he came to his senses means he changed his mind. A realization set in. Relational health wasn't what it was cracked up to be. He says, basically, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. Total change. He came to his senses. He acknowledged what was going on. Keep reading. It says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Basically, he made a change of his mind, and now it's led to a change of direction. He gets up. He heads back. He knows what he first knew and what he first experienced. He's like, I'm going to do that again. 
He recognizes along the way he's probably going to have to admit, he's going to have to acknowledge he's made some choices that broke relationship with his dad. So he heads back. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Essentially, what it means is that every day the father would go stand by his mailbox and look down the road. Is today the day my son comes home? Probably every day he's looking down the road. Is today the day my son comes home? And then all of a sudden, this was the day that his son came home. So suddenly he just breaks into a sprint and starts running down the driveway and he throws his arms around him and he's like, I love you. And he kisses him and he hugs him. He's like, my son is home. Notice what the son has said so far? Nothing. The son has had said, he said absolutely nothing to his dad. All the son has done is change his mind and change his direction. And suddenly, by changing his mind and changing his direction, the restoration of the relationship has started. Listen to how it plays out. It says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandal upon his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son is like, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad's like, oh, no, 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 no. You don't earn being my son. You choose to be in relationship with me and you're my son. That's how it goes. I, I'm, I'm inviting you in. You just choose and we're good. And when God sees you and I recognizing, okay, I, I've broken relationship. God, I surrender. I did it wrong. I'm, I want to come back. When our heart begins to break for the things that break God's heart, then God, just like the Father's like, oh yeah, I'm on, and he's in a full-out sprint. And suddenly we begin to find the restoration of relationship. And God begins to open up new worlds of possibility, begins to restore those relationships, and we begin to discover relational health with Jesus in a whole new way. And as we begin to discover that relational help with Jesus, we begin to realize that not only can we have this with Jesus, we can have it with other people. And along the way, what it might mean is that we have to begin to repent in our relationships and admit where we're wrong. Admit and say, you know, I gotta, I'm going to have to change my mind on that. I'm going to have to change my direction on that. And as we experience God welcoming us back in, it begins to motivate us to find that with other people. Whether it's us saying, hey, I'm wrong, I missed it. Or whether it's us being open to people saying, man, I'm wrong, I missed it. But God sets this amazing example of restoration. And it all comes through somebody being willing to say, I was wrong, I repent, I'm going to turn, I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to change my behavior. And as a, result, as a result, personal health improves. And relational health improves. And I'm not sure where you're at today, but my guess is for most of us in this room, there's something going on in our life with us and Jesus where we simply need to say, I need to change my mind, I need to change my direction so I can experience restoration. And likely there's some people in your life where that same thing needs to be happening, where you're going to go to them and say, ah, I need to get some things right, and I'm going to change my mind, I'm going to change my direction so that we can begin to have relational health. Every week in your program, we put these green cards in there and just challenge you to begin to think through what is it that you're going to do based on what you've heard this morning. So maybe your next step this morning is con to consider if you view your personal sin as just an annoyance or whether it's something that breaks the heart of God and is going to bring change. 
Maybe your next step is, do I identify the sin you need to repent of to allow for relational health? Maybe your next step is to admit your sin and ask Jesus to transform your heart and lead you in a different direction. Maybe lastly, you just need to commit to finding relational health within yourself and others in your life. Wherever it is, I would just encourage you and challenge you to let Jesus motivate you to pursue that relational health and whatever that looks like, wherever you're at in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you draw us back to you again and again and again. Jesus, would you help each of us in our life to recognize the areas of life, the situations in our life, the choices that we've made where we need to repent, be sorry for the relationship that's been lost, but God, not to just be crushed by that, but then to be motivated to change and change our mind and change our direction and pursue you become close to you and begin to enjoy that relational health that's available. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.